Before we start the podcast, I just wanted to give a little bit of a disclaimer, and I'm sure I don't even need to say this, but obviously everybody speaking on this show is in a completely different place, um, not just in terms of a room, but in the world, so the audio is going to be pretty disjointed. Um, for instance, I'm in a studio apartment with my dog and my girlfriend. Um, Stace is at home with his baby and his wife, and I don't even know where our uh, guests are at, so apologies if the audio isn't as pristine as you are accustomed to with podcasts, but given the current circumstances, I'm sure that you'll be able to understand and get through it. So that being said, I hope you enjoy the show, and here we go. are back with the stab cusp that is the currently untitled surf podcast which uh thank god we gave it that name because it was supposed to be one thing and now it's going to be something totally different um first of all i'm michael saramella and i'm here with my co-host stace galbraith stace how you doing mikey i'm good mate how are you long time no chat yeah it's uh whew. well yeah i guess we should just be pretty forthright with our listeners uh right off the bat that we've actually tried to record this show twice now this is our third time and um yeah for reasons relating to our own digital incompetence and then also kind of just the rapidly changing landscape of COVID-19 we're having to do it all over again so um I guess do should we just give the readers a brief overview of kind of like where we're at and what the world's like in our little corners for sure i think with you being based in costa rica and um a, obviously a very good knowledge of what's happening in america and then myself um on the gold coast in australia it should provide somewhat of a good overview of the different experiences that we're both having today um and I guess this was our problem with the first two. The news was just happening so rapidly that we couldn't really keep up with it. So we'll do our best to get this one out as quick as possible. But as a as a time reference, today is the day that a lot of very popular beaches on the Gold Coast just got closed as of pretty much just this afternoon. Breaking news. Cool and Gatta. So that includes the what is known as the Superbank section of Snapper through to Coolangatta is now closed. Um, no public use. And as well as the Spit, which is basically the equivalent, for those people that don't know the Gold Coast too well, it's about a 40-minute drive along the Gold Coast Highway to the northern end of town. It's probably the local beach that a lot of people um, in Service Paradise would frequent has also been closed. So it's going to be interesting to see how that affects the local community from now on because up until that point in Australia, bar some of the major tourist attractions like Bondi and a few others in Melbourne, like St Kilda, the beaches were more or less open for business. This this announcement's definitely one of the more surf-impacted beaches, so it'll be interesting to see um, what happens from here. Wow, that's a... That's huge. And am I right in stating that there's a bit of a cyclone swell in the water as well, or there will be shortly? 
There won't be by my weather predictions. It's unfortunately going to smash Vanuatu, which sucks for them. Um, they're actually looking to deal with a Category 5 cyclone that's going to make land through the Central Islands there at the current modelling. So, yeah, fingers crossed it's not too bad and they can come through that okay, but the current models hit it straight up the guts, which is pretty, pretty sad, especially in this time where everyone's kind of focused on themselves and their own communities. I, I You know, in another time, a lot of aid, I guess, would have been sent their way from Australia, but obviously everyone's doing a lot of their own shit at the moment, so... Yeah, hopefully it's not too bad and they can they can recover. Oh god, yeah, just everything's happening, I guess. Um All right. Well, so my part of the world uh also got some news in recent times. I don't know if you saw it on Stab or perhaps a few other surf-related sites, but uh we had well, first of all, our beaches were officially legally closed like the entire country. Uh, maybe 10 days ago and naturally being surfers we still want to surf so a few people have gone and you know tried to still surf and I think some people have gotten away with it and others not so much and there was a video that got a lot of traffic on the internet of a guy basically getting shot at depending on who you ask if you ask the local authorities they were quote-unquote warning shots or blanks I've heard different stories but if you watch the video, it, it, I don't know, it tells its own story. And we also had one of our pro surfers from here and an ISA world champion, Noe Marmagonical, got arrested. Um, I think all that's been figured out, and he put out, like, a really nice apology. And just on, like, a personal level, um, I don't know if you're experiencing this in Australia, but the internet speeds have gotten so bad with everybody being at home and basically just overwhelming the system, I guess, that... I can hardly use any of the normal, like, I can't do, I can't even chat with you throughout my day because there's everybody on the internet here. So I'm up in the middle of the night right now. Uh, it's 12.45 a.m. here. I think it's probably mid-afternoon where you are, Stace. But yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like uh, everything is changing, like, you know, and it's just kind of the new world we live in. I don't know how long it's going to last for, but it's a uh, pretty interesting times. So yeah, I mean, if you haven't really been caught up, what we've seen is that businesses in all industries, but surfing, of course, included are having to either lay off or furlough their staff to just basically stay afloat, right? So we've seen rip curl, um, We've seen Quicksilver, I believe, um, Volcom, and then O'Neill's clothing licensee have all basically furloughed 75-ish percent of their staff. And we also know that um, a decent amount of surfers are not being paid right now. The idea is that once this passes, the companies will be able to rebuild and hire those people back. But the reality is that there are tons of people in the surf industry right now that are out of work. Um, so that's the reality that we're facing. And again, we're going to hear some more like insights on that from two different sides later on. But yes, yeah, Stace, just like in your personal opinion and in your world, how do these things affect you or how do you see them? Well, the the tour being cancelled affects 
affects me greatly, um, that would be 50% of my income. Um, so without those events, um, things have definitely slowed up. You spend less money at home, so that's a good thing. And I think the athletes on tour are feeling that as well. Like if you've just qualified, um, you'd be very upset, but at least you have the tour to fall back on if and when it starts up again this year. Um, so I feel like those guys are in a similar boat. They don't have a whole lot of cash coming in, but their expenses are quite low and um, they, they seem to be doing um, okay from what I can gather. I think it would hit the QS surfers a lot harder, um, mainly because they don't have that guaranteed last place income coming in from any cancelled events, which the WSL at the moment have um, offered to pay the surfers for two cancelled events for last place, which is 20,000 US, which is not to be sneezed at. And if you're not traveling, that's some pocket money to you know get you through these next couple of months. Yeah, I, uh, I saw a funny comment somewhere that, um, well, they used one name, but it could be applied to anybody who is kind of a lower finisher on the tour that they're actually laughing right now because they're making more money. <laughs> they're getting the same uh, salary for not having to fly around the world and pay for, you know, Airbnbs and hotels and stuff like that. Totally. It, it actually is a valid point in the short term. Um, in the long term, however, though, I think that at some point, in my personal opinion, if the world tour is to stay afloat, there will have to be some sort of agreement reached between the surfers and the world tour to keep this thing afloat. Um, in Australia, with the NRL and the AFL, um, the executives, among others, as well as the players of both of those uh, I guess corporations you can call them have all offered and have taken massive pay cuts just to keep the game alive so I wouldn't be surprised if um, the surfers on the world tour don't get the same thing pitched to them just in an effort to either have a short season of 2020 or to just continue this thing into 2021 because I can't just see the WSL forking out that for every event that they cancel this year they'll I don't think be enough cash in the bank to just have that happen and, and not get any return on that. Yeah, I I would tend to agree, but here's what I will promise you is that on the next episode we're going to get some sort of WSL executive on the show with us and we're going to ask them these uh these hard questions. But for now, I want to get into something that we actually can learn about from somebody who has been part of the surf industry for um wow i guess you'd have to say over two decades now and that's sam mcintosh to me sam is one of the smartest and most resilient people in the surf industry and he's also had his hands in every corner from the athletes to the brands to obviously media so i thought he would be a good person to ask some questions about what the surf industry might look like on the other side of COVID-19. So, uh, yeah, Sam, thanks for coming. I'm glad I'm the only person who could pick up your call, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's do it. I would say that in the past 
five or so years, we've been in a bit of a transition period on the brand side of things. Like we saw Quicksilver and Billabong come under the same roof. Recently, we saw Hurley get sold by Nike, and we saw that Rip Curl finally sold after 50 years of being a privately owned company, um, you know, by its founders. And I guess what I'm asking is, is the COVID-19 crisis that's happening and all of the fallout that we're seeing of the brands and the fact that they're dropping a lot of their employees and surfers and all that, do you see that as solely a result of the crisis? Or do you think that the brands could be using the crisis as a way to expedite something that they already kind of wanted to do, like a, a bit of a downsizing? Yeah, I don't think anyone's seeing this as a major opportunity in the surf industry. I think a downturn like this gives you the ability, gives you some cloud cover to make moves that you were that you might have been avoiding or things kind of makes you pull the band-aid off and go, okay, these are things we definitely have to do. The difference with the shrinking of the surf industry is I was listening to a podcast this morning and they're talking about the glory days and they called it the champagne and cocaine economy, which is what the surf industry used to be in. Surfwear used to be leisure wear around the world and Billabong and Quicksilver, they were just they would go head to head and one of them would buy a seaplane, the other one would buy a seaplane and they were the enemy. So I think there's just a rationalisation of the size of the industry and it's more of a reset. That, that time, that, that period in the rearview mirror, that's never coming back. I don't think that was the anomaly in that period and it was buoyant and a wonderful time to be a sponsored surfer, but I don't think that will ever return. I also don't think these guys are looking at this and saying, oh, we... We didn't have the balls to go and make these decisions. Let's make them now. Let's chop here. Let's chop here. Let's chop here. Let's chop there. What I do think is everyone is out for survival. Many of these guys have a ton of retail, and then all of a sudden, those doors are closed. That income's gone. They've got these leases they've got to keep paying. They've got these servers they've got to keep paying. They call up the servers and say, hey, can you take... A 50% cut in salary, hey, we're going to take you off the payroll for 90 days. We're just doing what we can to stay alive. And so I think it's more of a survival as opposed to any strategic chance to just downsize or rationalize their spend. Okay, so let's say that there are between four and seven major surf brands in the world today. Obviously, all of them are being hit by this. Do you see all of them coming out of it on the other end and basically being able to function and potentially thrive in the future or are some or several of them going to completely collapse? I don't know the complexities and the strengths and weaknesses of all these businesses, but absolutely not all of them are going to come out of this alive. It's just a given. Pretty much across the economy, there'll be businesses that fail. And this has been an extremely buoyant economy and there are these businesses that weren't making money. Well, there's, there's quite a few businesses that weren't making money. It's hard to see those guys coming through the other side, as, a sa as sad as it is to say. But it is an evolution, and it's these, these times when it is sort of... Things are expedited, then the future is just created in these times. And, yeah, it's... I don't know who is going to go. I have a, I have a sense of some, of some brands who not, might not make it. I've got a sense of some brands who have a good war chest of cash behind them who should get through okay, but... None of us know how long this thing's going to go for. None of us know when the businesses come back to life. But for these brands with, where they have a 
big infrastructure behind them in terms of staff, in terms of leases. Like that's when the income stops, but the outgoings keep keep pouring out. That's a difficult place to be in. Are you willing to provide any actual projections of which companies will make it and which won't? There are brands who have obviously struggled the past few years, and I don't think it's my place to call them out because I just I hope everyone gets through. I just don't think it's going to be a likelihood. Fair enough. And of course, there are sentimental reasons for why we would want all these brands to persist. But coming from the business side, you run a media company, which in large part relies on spending from these brands to keep Stab going. So how do you see media changing on the other side of this? I'm going a little bit off topic, but Matt Biola said recently, he said, if surfers cared about heritage or legacy, Simon Anderson and Jerry Lopez would be the biggest board manufacturers in the world. And they're not. And I, I, th- I think as someone who's been around for a long time doesn't necessarily cement its future or secure its future. If you look more broadly, and I'll probably get this stat incorrect, but largely if you look at the S&P 500 from 100 years ago and compare it to today, and the biggest 500 brands in North America, I believe only 4% of them are still around. And so brands die, just what happens. It's not right or wrong, it just is. I think surf media is as exposed as normal media, and I think normal media is almost exposed as everyday business. There are opportunities in it. I, uh, I'm sure you see on our analytics, there is a more engaged audience, people out there on their phones. But as we know, Audience doesn't always equal a stronger business in media. It's like a vanity metric. A lot of the time, more page views doesn't really make you more income. Had that example of our YouTube from a a four-week period over December. We did 1.5 million views, and we dropped Stab in the Dark and a bunch of our bigger properties, and we brought in $1,800 in revenue. And so you just have to have your media business ratcheted in the right way or, or modeled in the right way. It's, um, yeah, traffic is not always a solution. From what I've seen with Stab and working alongside you, you've always been really uh, innovative and kind of ahead of the curve when it comes to ways to create business. So if there aren't as many brands and even the brands that do continue to exist aren't able to pay as much toward projects that would generally create Stab's income. Where do you see the ability to create that income from? Is it going to non-endemic brands or do you have a completely like a subscription model for instance? Do you want to go a totally different route? I don't think I really want to pull the kimono up too high for you Mikey but we have a strategy for this for this period. I don't know how it's I don't know exactly how it's going to play out But of course, you can't just have a business that is funded by advertising. That doesn't work because you're going head-to-head against the juggernauts, which are Alphabet and Facebook, which is Google, Facebook, Instagram. And you just can't compete with those guys on a a media front in terms of impressions. It's just impossible. So, yeah, you have to rethink what your business stands for. You're going to need some reader contribution. I think a smaller more loyal paying audience is way more powerful than a larger one who don't who don't want to spend anything i think it's uh i think if you wanted to be a really big restaurant and gave away food that's how i compare it uh so we've 
we've grown up paying for media now we've stopped I think at some point it will flip I don't know whether this is going to happen in this downturn but I don't think you can rely on the surf industry to prop you up to support you as a business I think that's a dangerous strategy so the other side of this is the surfers themselves who it's funny because it it almost seems like an afterthought but without the surfers like what we do what the brands do is like almost entirely meaningless so uh, obviously over the past few weeks and months we've seen major brands dropping significant portions of their surfers whether it's completely uh, cutting their contracts or downsizing their contracts so do you see this as kind of a short-term fix to a temporary problem being the COVID crisis? Or will the brands realize that sponsoring every Joe Ripper around the world isn't the best use of their resources and develop a new marketing strategy moving forward with less surfers essentially on their roster? Okay, so just to go back to the start of that question, I've copped a fair bit of flack the past 24 hours about the article that we published around surfers being dropped. So there are a significant number of surfers who have been let go. They kind of, the force majeure part of the contract means that the act of God clause allows you to make, I guess it's cloud cover for making some pretty significant decisions, uncomfortable ones. However, the bulk of the surf industry as we know it have not let any of their team go. They have just put them on a 60 or 90 day contract freeze. So they're not gonna be paid in that time. That, that sort of gives them the ability to catch their breath and then potentially go back and renegotiate these contracts. So that's sort of first and foremost. Uh, the second part of that is a business, if you look at it in its most simple forms, it's a for-profit entity. So every decision that someone makes, every dollar they spend, is to try to get that business to profitability. Obviously there's cultural nuance and there's a lot more to it, but essentially that's why a business exists. And if you're a marketing manager, if you're the CFO, every dollar you spend is because someone is solving a problem and adding value. You can't look at the surf roster as any different. There is no meritocracy. There's no, oh, this guy surfs better than that guy. It's, if I give this guy $40,000, is that going to create me more business? If I pay him $100,000, are we going to be able to sell product off the back of it? I think it's that simple. And so I don't think there's, this is a time where people can say, oh, well, we've had this guy on for 10 years. He's a part of the family. I don't think that exists anymore because survival will always be more important than this ideological family. Or I see that sort of the the brand Ohana getting around, like, and I just it kind of makes me laugh. It's like you can put up all the hashtags you like, but when shit gets real, you're done. <laughs> Very true. So will surf <laughs> teams be smaller on the other side of this as well? I would assume so. I think there's always going to be a really healthy number of sponsored surfers. But I think that these guys now will have more responsibility to provide value. I think a sticker on a board and just cruising around and doing your thing, I think those days are done for most surfers at least. Yeah, I mean, now we look at John John, right? He went from having the biggest contract ever in the sport, somewhere around $4 million a year from Hurley, and not really providing 
much value outside of just him going surfing with a jersey on and winning a few world titles, which is certainly not for nothing. But, you know, his Instagram was almost non-existent. He didn't really have a YouTube. He put out maybe one movie every, what, two years. So his outward facing exposure was very low. And now he's been unsponsored for a little over a month and he's posting, what, three YouTube videos a week now? Uh, what do you kind of take from that? It's a, <laughs> it's a really good question. But all of those things that John did in terms of, I, I, th he, I think he might have done one Hurley tag in 12 months at some point. That is exactly what you want from a two-time world champ who hates Instagram, who just wants to be away from people on a boat. That just fits his brand completely. And that's what makes us warm to him so much more. I think him now doing that realizes he just has people in his camp are saying, hey, this is the way you have to go. It's going to make you, it's going to, going to give you more options. However, I don't feel, I don't feel as though this is an easy place for him to operate. He's a quite a private guy. And I think that's what we all like about him, that he doesn't go and create these vlogs. Like you go and see his surf videos. He's not taking you inside his house and his garage and his private life too much. He does keep a little, like he does put up a, a significant wall still, don't you think? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, even just compared to his brother, right, who is extremely gregarious and clearly kind of revels in the camera being on him. And it's great. And Nate comes across as like super organic. And I think compared to some of the other vloggers out there, like extremely entertaining and tolerable. Um, but I agree, like, it's just not John's personality. Yeah, it's just, it's just a difference of personality, and Nathan has a cosmic personality. Like, it's, he's charismatic, you're drawn to him, he's, he's fun to watch, he can pull it off. It doesn't seem contrived, but John trying on something like that would be hard to watch, I'd imagine. Yes, agreed, because it's very easy to tell when it's faked, especially when you're watching, you know, 20 minutes of someone going through a daily routine that is typically pretty mundane. Now, okay, so... It was reported by Stab that John was quite close to signing a deal with Rip Curl, but apparently that has at least been postponed, if not completely canceled. Um, my question is, does it even make sense for John to sign with a brand kind of anytime soon when the brands are so hurt for cash? Like, you would have to assume that whatever he would be signing right now would be for significantly less than it would be when the brands are actually profiting. Yeah, and I don't think it's easy to compare John to anyone else in the world. I think most people would agree he's the most marketable surfer in the world. So the, the standard rules don't apply. There's a story about uh, a surfer, Luke Stedman, used to be on the world tour. He was dropped by Quicksilver and then he just kept wearing stickers, wearing the clothes, pretending it was business as usual. And he was going around negotiating, saying, hey, if you want me, you have to poach me from Quicksilver. It did really well for him. It was, uh, he negotiated a really great deal on the back of that, and it was a clever strategy. Uh, I think when someone is unsponsored and it feels like they are desperate and dateless, I think that impacts their earning ability. In saying that, I don't think John has to worry about that at all. He is, scarcity brings value and he's the ultimate in scarcity, so he can take his time. 
And I think you're right. I think if he signed a deal now, he would be dropping his parents and doesn't need to. I think he's going to... It's not like his talent or his marketability are expiring. He's just in that sweet spot for a while. Now, what about the argument that a surfer doesn't necessarily need a main sponsor and they could in theory make a lot of money just on the like one-off influencer instagram ad thing like you know say lululemon came to john and they wanted to do some sort of uh thing where you know he did some stretching and yada 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 and he does one post and he gets paid 50k and he does that you know, X amount of times a year. And is it possible that he could earn more money from that? Would that be potentially more valuable? I think the question you're asking is the same one that Alana Blanchard just grappled with recently. And so she was obviously someone who's very desirable. She has a a huge following. And so that uh, she was getting these offers from the side saying, hey, do you want to do this for this campaign? Do you want to do this? And... I believe that was the friction with her deal with uh, Rip Curl, and that's why she walked away from that deal, was the fact that she could make more elsewhere. I don't know whether a surfer would be a sort of a fusion of a surf star meets, say, Jay Alvarez character, but it's an interesting question. I don't see John doing that ever. I think he is... I think he's more core, and I don't think he would dilute his brand, so to speak with just sort of taking a different paycheck every week. I would agree. I think that's a fair analysis of John. But I do think that there is a place for that surfer to exist. Um, And I think it would have to be somebody who has more of that, like, upbeat, just, like, gung-ho personality that is already on their Instagram speaking into the camera, you know, three times a week or whatever. Uh, But I do think that there's something there where you can provide a lot of value to a lot of companies versus who knows like how many board shorts can you actually sell doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I agree. I also think that you need to, like anyone who signs with a brand, needs to understand that whether they're getting 500 bucks a week or 5,000 a month or 10,000 a month, that's a lot of product that the brand has to sell on the backside of that just to, just to cover your cost. Uh, and so I think that may rationalize a little bit where people realize that the value they need to add for the brands. All right. So we've covered most of the bases that I wanted to with this, but I want to know what are the positives that we can just take from this whole situation? Do you see any opportunities that, you know, didn't previously exist that you're excited to pursue now? Uh, last recession, everyone hunkered down and we it was a really big opportunity for Stab. We went the other way and, and invested pretty heavily and took a lot of risk, and it served us well. The bad thing about crisis is they always happen. The good thing is they always end. There are always opportunities, and I think if you're cumbersome and slow to move, uh, I think that is going to be a real danger. But I think if you are nimble and take calculated risks, I think recessions can be great things. Lots of people come out of recessions in a way stronger place than they went into them. Uh, And it's a good opportunity to break from the past and reset things. There's cloud cover to make moves you wouldn't usually make, and the weak die, the strong survive. I don't know whether we will die, I don't know whether we'll survive, but I'm sure we'll work it out. 
Wow, that was awesome to hear from someone who's been on pretty much every side of the table in the industry as a as a surfer and then as a media tycoon. And um, he's a very insightful young man, isn't he? <laughs> yes, and I think he would love that you called him young. Everyone's trying to keep a job in this climate, aren't they? Yeah, that's why I'm recording a podcast at 1am right now. <laughs> But yeah, I, I I had such a good time listening to that as 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 a like a as a fan, you know, Sam doesn't do a whole lot of media, but he's certainly got some amazing insights and um he's really well spoken. He's he's very very knowledgeable and pretty easy to listen to, so that was um that was cool that you're able to sit down with him and yeah, I think he was really quite optimistic given given the climate that everything's in it was actually uh you know he had some moments in there that definitely got me thinking and uh i can't wait to see how sort of stab adjust and move in this current climate because he's been through a lot i guess with the magazine from being a print magazine to then going digital at a time when the world the ass was falling out of the pants of the world at that time around you know 07 08 so this is just another hurdle that you know his business will have to get through and by the sounds of it, it, he doesn't sound too stressed, which is, is a good thing. Gave me some hope. But now we'll have the other side of the coin, and that's uh, Mitch Cruz from the athlete perspective. He's a pretty unique athlete in the sense that he's got a, a pretty good um, business head on him, and, and he's diversified himself over the years. And as well as being an athlete, he's he's also you know open and run some small businesses and one of those at the moment is, is doing quite well and is looking like he'll he'll weather the storm as well so it's um it's good to see but i'm looking forward to digging in a bit deeper with mitch which we'll do now well, here so, we have on the show mitch cruz or more affectionately known as cruzy to his many friends around the world the 2014 few rookie of the year probably not i don't know if anyone got rookie of the year that year self-made man of the surf industry who's uh dealt with multiple sponsorship dealings throughout his time as a professional surfer um and navigated his way through i would say some tough times in the industry and some pretty straightforward times in the industry when things were going really well so Stoked to have him on the show today and uh, keen to pick his brain with uh, with how things are moving forward. Mitchell, how are you? Thanks for my beautiful intro. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, feel, I feel really, really like pleased with that introduction. I'm frothing. It'd be remiss of me to not mention it's your 30th birthday today. Happy birthday, mate. I love you. Oh. Mitch, I didn't even know. Happy birthday. What is is it like noon over there right now? Yeah, it's uh one PM. So what tin are you on right now? Number like four or? I actually just cracked my first one for the day today, but I had a couple last night, sort of as my little mini sort of ISO thirtieth celebration and yeah, I kinda it took I was a little bit um uh I don't know how else you'd put it, hung this morning. And uh, so, yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd um, you know, crack my first one while I chat to you fellas. But, yeah, great day. I'm 30, frothing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, as Stace alluded to, 
um, the reason that we wanted to have you on here was because we uh, we just talked to Sam McIntosh to get the kind of industry insider perspective on everything that's going on with the COVID-19 crisis, and we wanted to hear from an athlete. We've also noticed that you have kind of adopted a new strategy when it comes to finding sponsorship and keeping your job as a pro surfer, and it's been less centered around having the one main brand that you work for all year long and rather having a few little brands, or not necessarily little brands, but multiple brands that you do specific jobs for throughout a year. So for instance, it would be, you know, gearing up with, what's that, uh, I don't want to call them a, a watch band brand. They're uh, like a fitness fitness recorder. I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it was called Whoop. Um, it's like a fitness band thing that it's funny because I'm not like a full fitness advocate guy. But when they when I had the opportunity to wear it, I kind of actually once I started like using the thing, I was like, oh, shit, this thing's actually kind of cool. But yeah, like I definitely feel like I had to adjust my approach um, to like, you know, partnering with brands and stuff as I've gone on in my career and kind of taken more recently more of like that influencer, I, I guess approach to to the sort of surfing um partially one of the reasons why is you know I lost my major sponsor my previous one was with Reef and then um kind of noticed that the the industry was way more difficult nowadays to just you know go and get signed as if it was when I was like you know in, in on the junior series or in my early 20s so I kind of thought okay so I've got to start sort of thinking outside of the box here and like leveraging social media to like, I don't know, create a, create another stream of income to be able to do what I love to do. So, but it's only been kind of recent and um, I'm still kind of learning as I go with it, but it's, yeah, it's allowing me to continue the dream. <laughs> For sure. I, I, I would say though that knowing you personally that you've had offers from other brands um, but to your credit I would say that I've watched you knock them back because you saw those say two or three year deals for a decent amount of money although not really fit your long term say personal brand and having watched you evolve into being a little more flexible and I guess nimble with your approach to who you work with it still allowed you to have like arguably a year's worth of income via four or five different income streams. Well, the same income stream essentially, but different different products or services. And I, I don't know, I just thought that from an outsider looking in, I thought that that's something that was, was pretty cool to see you kind of adapt like that on the fly. You didn't just jump at the very next deal that was available, you know? Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny, like... like as as a kid growing up like all all year ever all i ever wanted to buy was like a branded bit of clothing whether it be billabong rip curl you know growing up and and then as you get older it any any bit of clothing i have with a brand on it i it's it's not i i wouldn't be wearing it you know i just try and wear like like 
I prefer to wear non-branded clothing. And it's funny to think that the whole, that's how it's kind of shifted with the next generation of like young consumers. They're just like buying, you know, just plain shit and like stuff from like the thrift stores or whatever. But um, I guess when when I realized that I, I, I wasn't aligned with like a one brand where I had to wear specifically their their brand all the time I can wear kind of whenever I want and you know back whatever I kind of like um and but still be able to kind of it's it's definitely (laughs) the comfort of having a beautiful like nice three-year deal is is epic and having the support from a brand it's like oh that's still so so awesome but um this other new potential sort of I guess, way to approach it, it's a lot more grindy, but at the same time, I feel like you've got a lot more freedom and you get to, you, you know, you can sort of walk to your own beat and, and sort of choo- pick and choose what things m- might suit you. Um, but fuck, like, uh, there is some real cringy shit ones as well where, like, you just sort of got to, like, oh, I think I'm going to go for this. And just, you know, blast it on my gram and everyone's just like, oh, what a kook. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, a little bit of cash in the pocket to be able to go and do that next trip or whatever it might be. But um, yeah, it's it's just, um, it has been interesting. And I, and I think that it may start going more that way, maybe. Um, I don't know what you guys think, but... I definitely think with the younger generation, say that generation that are just leaving the junior series and then looking to approach the QS, the QS or, or doing even doing say free surf trips if that's something that you you know you want to pursue whether you want to be a free surfer or a contest surfer, both of those avenues cost a lot of money. If you want to be someone who clips get watched you've got to go to some premier waves for one and those trips aren't cheap even if you are splitting it with a few people and i think that kids are starting to look at it that way um are they going to take their few thousand dollar travel budget from one of the major brands or are they going to go and try and earn it themselves and then therefore have just complete freedom over the trip i think that we will start to see more of that happening especially once this all blows over you know brands are already so tight with how and where they spend their money i don't see that getting any better in fact i see it getting a lot worse and i feel like kids will have to get creative with how they how they get their incomes and i think what we've just spoken about here is is definitely uh definitely a good avenue what do you reckon mikey uh well what you just said actually brought me back to a conversation that we had I don't know, maybe half a year ago about a specific surfer, Tane Bowden, who I know that you work with on a coaching and maybe even a managerial level. Uh, Because I think what you told me was his sponsor at the time, who I don't believe is his sponsor anymore, was not allowing him to take what were essentially like modeling or influencer gigs from outside non-endemic brands. Um, Is that right or am am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah, you're right. That was exactly what I was referring to then without going into too much detail. But now that um, you've brought it up, for sure, it's definitely what what was told to him at the time. And then with some negotiation, he was allowed to shoot 
um, non-endemic brands, but still not surf brands. So he was sponsored by Billabong. Obviously, Billabong don't want to see their surfer wearing, say, a Brixton or a, a fan that needs, you know, a one-off model to do their shoot. But if they're paying this kid between, you know, 500 bucks to three grand a day on some of the better ones, those guys just couldn't match that for him. So it was a, it was a hard decision and it was a, it was a sad decision because like Mitch said earlier, when you're that age, all you kind of think about is having that sticker up your nose, all your favorite surfers rode for that brand. You've got at home, you've got Parco, Jack, you know, the Billabong team on the Gold Coast is amazing. And then globally, like Italo just won a title. Like you would want to be aligned with that. But when it came down to dollars and cents for someone who's got a shitload of talent and is lucky enough to be able to work in a few other realms to make some money that isn't breaking his back on the job site, you'd be mad not to take that. You're not. There's no brand loyalty. You're not going to go, oh, well, they're sick. I'm going to stay with them because... Maybe in five years, I'll get to stay at the off-the-wall house. In five years, they might not even own that house, so you can't really take that risk anymore. I think, um, like, back when I was on the junior circuit, you know, it was sort of in the prime time of when the, the big surf brands were just killing it. And, like, back then, the junior contracts, like, everyone was getting were just, like, you know... It, it's what like some CT guys are getting nowadays, you know? And like those, like growing up, you wanted to have those big brands on, on the, on the top of your like board, like a Billabong, Rip Curl, Hurley, whatever, whatever it was. And, um, you know, it is a kind of a shame to, to be at this point where you're looking at those big brands that we idolized growing up and they're kind of, you know, having a bit of trouble because, you know, people, it's just not, considered cool to wear anymore but these brands is what supported sort of our dreams growing up but having having that to adjust and and maybe think okay well if that's the case like maybe I've got a scrap just having that sticker on the nose essentially and market myself down a path of more this like you know wearing wearing these brands like these more mainstream companies that'll you know, pay you like 1500 bucks for one Instagram post in some, some gear. It's kind of like, well, you know, the reality of that is like, you know, that's, that's a, that's a bunch of money in the pocket. And, and unfortunately you may not have that marquee brand up the nose, which kind of has that sort of strange stigma about it, but it may become the norm for these young kids. Um, and adjusting that sort of mindset of like being, being fine with that yeah it's a good way of putting it it is it is a it is a mindset change for sure and that that stigma of like i've heard basically everyone in the industry talk about oh you know when you take that sticker off your nose it's going to be hard to get another sponsor well there is no other fucking sponsor out there anyway it's, it's sad to say but it's the honest truth like even the best kids right now are barely getting enough to say do five comps and um, do five free surf trips and I'm not having a whinge I, I think that anyone was ever lucky to get that anyway but I just think it's time to diversify and and try and get yourself the best opportunities you can which is short term income so on that point Mitch uh, my question is how do you and how should or how would you recommend that somebody that wants to take this path goes about it like is it a lot of uh 
kind of proactivity on your side? Are you reaching out to these non-endemic brands and saying, hey, I think I could do this and this and this for you? Or do you play more of a waiting game and see who comes your way? Well, like, in all honesty, mate, it's it's all because of social media that we're even talking about this, really. You know, like, once social media come in and people started building these huge fan bases and brands actually could tap into the data and go, hey, this, this kid is worth this because he's got this many followers. And, like, you know if you're building that big fan base somehow through your social media and then you know that you're creating value for brands where they can go, okay, we're going to tap into his specific demographic of like, I don't know, 100,000 followers and we know we're going to get at least 10,000 of those followers are going to engage in, in our product and things like that. So I think like it, social media is what, if if you're a young kid and you've built up this big social media fan base you'll the the brands will start sort of coming to you i guess and and approaching you to to share with your demographic i guess um i don't think uh me personally i haven't um reached out to anybody and like gone hey like i'll bloody post you clothes on my Instagram for some money or anything. I think most of it's just sort of been through like, um, some agencies that like there's social media agencies now that kind of work specifically in this sort of field. So that they're always sourcing new influencer partnerships and whatnot. Um, kind of like a manager in a way, but just strictly for like social media posts for brands, like, and um, they, they come up all the time nowadays for all sorts of stuff. Like it could be a bloody chocolate bar and they're like, hey, you want to post this bloody chocolate bar on your Instagram? And you're like, oh, well, I don't, or whatever, you know. So um, I think aligning with those like social media influencer agencies and building up a bit of a like fan base on your like, you know, Instagrams and things like that, it's that's that's what's going to start, you know, making you valuable to those kind of com- like outside companies. And also from a brand's perspective as well, like that's a whole nother, it's a whole nother thing there. Like for like these big three brands now utilizing that model and sort of breaking the original, like, oh, here's our surf team. Like I've always thought, well, now that this new influencer model exists what if they just never had a surf team <laughs> you know like billabong didn't have a surf team and they just paid influencers with their marketing spends yeah and mitch earlier uh like i mean i guess the well i guess there are multiple downsides of this but one of them is what you said before that you might end up having to support some brands or products that aren't really naturally something you would use and they might come off as a little bit cringy or whatever but i want to say that one of my favorite type of instagram posts is the blatantly like so over the top blatantly advertised but in a way that's like kind of self-deprecating and i don't want (laughs) to throw anybody especially you under the bus but i think you and yaden and a few of the other guys have done such a good job with that with the rockstar ads 
like they're just so funny to me that it's like you know like yeah you're you're you know you are absolutely advertising their product like i know for a fact like, as soon as i'm watching this i'm like oh this is rockstar and it, it, it creates brand recognition but they're so funny because you're like making fun of yourself like <laughs> i don't know i just really enjoy this well yeah i mean like rockstar i've I'm so grateful that I got to like, you know, be supported by those guys and, and, um, you know, like they're, 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 um, you know, supporting me and letting me do my thing. And, you know, in return, they want to get their social media posts and mate, they are what they are. And you, I, I can only make as much fun with them as I can. And people are obviously going to think what they think of them, but like at the end of the day, yeah, some some of them are a bit of a piss take and it's just yeah like they're um in a way it works like you said like people are getting the brand recognition people know it and and um yeah but it is difficult to get, find something that's not gonna make you look like an absolute dork at times but that's with any any specific brand post you know like like oh how am I gonna make myself not look like a complete sellout kook which you know you kind of are in a way but <laughs> but yeah um no but I, i'm fortunate that those guys actually support us and and um yeah it, it is bloody funny yaden's got some good ones courtney codalog's got some brilliant ones too yeah i think courtney might be at the top the top of the ladder of rockstar energy posts for sure oh i don't think i've seen those i'll have to go check those out um all right uh stace what else do we want to get into with mitch i wanted to ask mitch um what positives he saw coming out of this and what changes i guess he's made moving forward or will make moving forward and any overall kind of predictions of how we're going to come out the other side a little better for, for me personally i've felt kind of like this uh it's sort of like i'm at peace with with everything i'm like oh everyone can get a bit of a break from their like lives of just consuming so much shit buying useless shit always on the go now everyone's just like oh fuck like you know unfortunately people are losing jobs and stuff which sucks but people are starting to like sit around and go oh gosh like life itself you know they're getting more of a grasp on like just gen genuine like living and and existence which is kind of like for me, uh, this morning, like, obviously, it's my birthday. I had a little bit of a sentimental moment, went down the beach, had a swim, and I looked around, and, like, everyone's fucking pretty happy, man. Like, they're just, they're like, oh, well, like, this, it is what it is. And, like, I think it's actually people are being more peaceful to one another and knowing, oh, we're all in this together. It's It's a tough time, but I think it's unifying everyone to kind of work together to get through it. Obviously there's some places where it's a bit fucked. Like, you know, uh, I try and I try and not get too caught up on the negatives about it. But just from my perspective, it seems like everyone, no matter who the fuck you are, if you're Justin Bieber or fucking my next door neighbor, you gotta, you gotta stay nicer, mate. Like, you know, so it's like everyone's on the same sort of playing field, which is kind of cool. And yeah, I think that if anything, it's sort of like a bit of a reset and everyone gets to kind of reflect on their shit and then try and get back into life with a, with a bit of a 
you know, new perspective. That, 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 that's just my sort of look on it. But Well, Mitchell, thanks for being on the show with us today here on the Stab Cusp. It was an absolute pleasure. Mate, it was a pleasure to be on the podcast with you, Stace, on my 30th birthday. And, uh, yeah, thank you, Mike, wherever you are. He's gone, but um, everyone stay safe out there. And thanks, guys. Love you. So, yeah, obviously, uh, as you could tell, my line fell off from that conversation with Mitch and Stace. But it was uh, pretty funny when Mitch was talking about how happy everyone was on the Gold Coast from this. And not to kind of shit on the the note of positivity, but I wonder how long that will last now that all the uh, good waves are closed in your your little part of the world. Very, very, very good point. And... um... Yeah, I definitely was picking up what Mitch was putting down there. In a sense, it's made everyone sort of slow down and uh, and think um, a little more clearly and, and only really worrying on what matters. And that's just, you know, you, you close ones and your loved ones and keeping everyone, uh, you know, well looked after. It's definitely not all rainbows and lollipops, uh, but there are a lot of positives to take out of it. But it's awesome to hear Mitch is, is so positive. You can always kind of rely on him for that. Yeah. But hey, uh, just on a personal level, what is your take on the morality of surfing right now? Like, yeah, just kind of bring me through the way that you think of it, because I've, I've heard a lot of different thoughts and theories, and I'm just kind of curious to hear where you're at with it all. I think where we live um, on, you know, the northern New South Wales, southeast Queensland border, I believe there is enough ocean and enough beach for everyone to enjoy the ocean, whether that's a swim, a, you know, a, a, a freaking kayak, a surf, a quick stand-up, whatever your craft, however you enjoy the ocean, I feel there's enough of it out there for us to all enjoy it and to keep our distance. Um, so, yeah, long story short, I think it's okay. What's not okay is faux localism and and trying to beat your chest about some grievances you might have of your local beach. Look, it's a privilege to be able to use the ocean and to be able to say that you have a local beach. Not everyone can do that. So I think a little more empathy would be nice across the the beaches at the moment of saying who can and can't come there. Not everyone's fortunate enough to live within a kilometre of the beach. Does that mean that people who live 10 kilometres away shouldn't use it? Look... Sure they can. If they find a park and they don't see anyone and they paddle out a peak to themselves, all good. That can happen. You've just got to be clever. If you see 10 people out there, go to another peak. It's fine. It's not that hard. But everyone blowing up on the internet and crapping on about how locals only, I just think that's a load of shit. So I think that um, you know people would want to have a bit of foresight there and realize that this virus is only or whatever pandemic whatever you want to call it it's only going to last in the short term but how people are behaving now could have long-lasting effects and some of the things that we're seeing already are questionable behavior Mm. that's a really interesting take because you're almost arguing for both sides if that makes sense because you're you think that everyone should be able to go in the water like it's a very like open-minded way but then 
at the same time. Yeah, I am. It's it's common common sense. Unfortunately, common sense isn't all that common, and that's why you need government to come in and tell you what you can and can't do. But I definitely think on the Gold Coast, as I've noticed around the world, actually, which is really teetering on the brink of something else where people are turning on each other and becoming exclusive rather than an inclusive. I don't believe that is a very humane way of looking at the situation. So the counter argument to that, and I think that like what you're saying, it makes sense and it's like, it's nice, right? Because it allows people to surf and theoretically do it safely. And I think that if people did it that way, yes, we would be a lot safer in the sense that, you know, if you're not that close to people in the ocean, you're probably not going to get sick. Although there have been studies that show that coronavirus can be carried both in the kind of salt air, like the sea breeze, if you will, and also on the ocean surface potentially. So there's that. But the main part is that if you do allow people to surf, it will inevitably draw people to the coast and the problem with that is if you have people coming from 10 miles away like you said maybe they aren't fortunate enough to live a kilometer from the beach but that means that every time that they drive they're going to be using petrol and they're going to need to fill that up so every time they stop at a gas station you're basically increasing the amount of chance for people to catch it every time they stop to get a coffee on their way again it increases so by keeping the beaches open for anyone to surf you're basically guaranteeing a mass kind of exodus toward the beach because it's the only we all have free time right now most of us aren't at work and the one thing that we can do that we know will kind of keep us sane and happy and it's a good form of exercise is surfing so it's a really tough one like if you could somehow say that only people who live within walking distance of the beach are allowed to surf i think that's the only way where you could almost guarantee that surfing wouldn't end up hurting people in the long run but by having beaches and waves open i think it unfortunately does create more risk than it's worth and i don't know it's it's a really tricky one but yeah i guess that's where i stand for sure, it, it is. It is. A, it is a tricky one, and there is there is no right answer. I just would, as a slightly concerned member of the public, it just grinds my gears when I see kids jumping on the bandwagon of locals only. Like, there's so much hate being spread amongst the community right now that we don't need another reason to get angry at another human like we're all in this together it's not a it shouldn't be us versus them that's not where this needs to be heading yeah i don't think anyone in australia can pull that card if they pull out a um modern history book basically is what i'm getting at yes i i totally agree on that point and i think that like you taking that empathetic stance is like really important because it's so easy to take the kind of the argument that i just made and make it something that it's not like make it like oh you know if you don't live here you can't surf here and i think that that's wrong but yeah and so. you know what man this will all pass and we'll all be able to surf again and if you believe the experts <laughs> the industry will revive so um 
it doesn't all have to be gloom and doom and i don't know if we're helping or hurting but if we are uh making your covid19 isolation experience any better stace and i will hopefully be getting on this regularly we already have a great second episode planned for 2020 and uh yeah stace thank you so much for your time and your thoughts and i'm uh i'm excited to talk to you soon thanks mikey that was all time sweet dreams over there mate i know it's late (laughs) yeah have a good one